All right. Now, up to, now we're going to optimistic, wonderful you know, stuff that makes us feel so good. So the last thing we were learning about was Sitra Achra, right? That Sitra Achra is the side that's not the side of holiness. This is off, good. Right? We are on, we're in chapter 6, if you recall. Um, in my book, it's page 23. Um, we're at the end of the paragraph where it speaks about martyrdom for the sanctification of God. Yes, you see that paragraph? In my book, it's at the end of the column. The last sentence of the paragraph is through martyrdom for the sanctification of God. Oh, it's um, bottom of the second, first column, sorry, on page 24. Okay, so what I would like to do is I would like to go back over the difference between... Um, I would like to go back over the idea of the side of holiness, right? Because sitra just means the other side. So the other side means anything that's not the side of holiness, right? You can divide everything into a potato or not a potato. So I think it's either be holy or not holy, right? What do we care about the not holy things? Just that they are not holy. Okay, what makes something the side of holiness? So the, remember the definition of side of holiness is that anything which is the indwelling or extension of the holiness of Hashem. Mm -hmm. Okay, So the side of holiness is something which is receiving the holiness of Hashem. We have physical analogies for this. Does anyone remember any of the physical analogies for this idea of the side of holiness? Or do I have to go back over them? Right. Right. So the fire is hot. Why is the fire hot? Because it's intrinsically hot. Right? Why is the soup on the fire hot? Right, the heat of the fire, right, is, is, is permeating, radiating through the soup, right? So they're both hot, but the heat of the soup is not its own heat, it's the heat of the fire, right? So that'd be in the side of hot, right? The side of hot, right? And then the things are not being heated, right? Um, if we talk about Hashem, Hashem is holy. What does holy mean? Right, exactly, that's what holy means. I'm very glad you got that right. Nothing. Holy, it transcends our ability to put into terms. As David Melech said, Dumia Sihila silences his praise. And, or the way the Zohar says, no thought can grasp him. Another fancy word for this in English is called transcendence, right? which just means beyond. So Hashem, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, Hashem is beyond that. So this beyondness of Hashem, right? When that is radiating and permeates something else, that thing takes on the side of holiness. Okay. Now, the last thing we left off on was, in order for that to happen, the thing has to abnegate itself. It has to nullify itself. The Hebrew for this is bittel. Right. That as long as something is making, as long as the as long as an entity exists in such a way that the emphasis, the focus, what it's about is not entirely directed towards Hashem, it, so to speak, distracts from the focus on Hashem, then it's not receptive to this holiness. Okay. It's going to keep doing that. It's going to keep doing that. Okay. okay. So, for example, if you are putting up a painting from, I don't know, Michelangelo. Michelangelo paintings? Yeah, he did some paintings, right? famous renaissance artist, if you're going to put up yeah. a painting, should you use like a green neon frame? No. no. Why not? What? Right. It, just, it takes, it distract, oh. it, sh it, it shifts your, uh, the frame should bring out the painting, not distract you from the painting. What? That's disrespectful. It is disrespectful. Why? Because instead of bringing out the painting. Right. Everybody's going to talk about the frame. That's right. Okay. So. Now, Al-Turbi gives two examples of things which have this abnegation, this bittel. Angels and Jews. What's the difference between angels and Jews? Angels have wings. No. <laughs> Jews also have wings, by the way. Angels are... Yes. Well, that's like saying, what's the difference between 
chalent, oh, okay. chalent and ice cream. The difference is that chalent isn't ice cream. I mean, that's true, but you haven't explained the difference. The difference is nobody wants to eat chalent on a hot summer day. Angels and Jew godly souls. Right. One is actually nullified to Hashem and one is potentially nullified to Hashem. Which one is which? Well, you have two choices. You can guess randomly and suffer my public humiliation or you can look in the text. Which one do you choose? Okay, good choice. It's the paragraph that we just concluded. It starts to it so too. Okay, well while you're trying to find it, let's talk about the difference between potential versus actual. Potential is higher. Why is potential higher? Because potential means what? You could do more. In the case, as in the case of the angels above, or potentially as in the case of every Jew down below. Right, so which one is the one that potential? No. Angels are actual. Angels are actual, right? And the, and the soul is potential. Okay. So let, this is something we did very quickly at the end of last class. So I want to spend more time on it, okay? I teach the highest Hasidic class in my end, men's program. Now this creates a problem. The problem that it creates is that people want to go to the highest Hasidic class and I don't want them there. So, now, what? Okay. So now, generally, this there's a solution to this problem, which is that the person who teaches the class before mine, right? I just make a rule that you know, unless the person in the class before mine really thinks that you should move to my class, then you can't come to my class. And then I've like offloaded the burden of like having to tell people they can't come to my class, right? So can't come to my class. Well, have you been in Rabbi So and So's class? Yes. Well, has he told you to come to my class? No. Well, then discussion over. I don't have to talk to you. And the problem solved. Mm -hmm. Good. What? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're exemplifying the Jewish trait of compassion. Now, back to the topic at hand. <laughs> okay. I could, but then it would be a different kind of class. And that's not the kind of class it's supposed to be. Okay. I actually sincerely doubt that they want to learn, but that's okay. Because someone that wants to learn would not always try and stick themselves in a class. What's the, just what's the rabbi that like, he left and made them tons of benches? Well, rabbi Gamliel. Yeah. yeah. What? That's right. Okay. So, but now what happens if someone comes to the men's program and we have to figure out, like, if you know, it's a little trickier, right? So, I put together a Hasidus test. If I can find a copy of it, you want to take it by all means. Please. What? You can take it, sure. If I can find a copy of it, I'll let you take it. And the basic purpose of this test is kind of to, to figure out where the person should belongs. Okay. It's an assessment test. That's so scary. Um, so it has. Um, so now here's the problem. Okay. It usually works pretty well because I don't actually care what the person if the person knows the answers to those questions. That's not. It's not. It's not. Do you have information? Right. It's how you have that information. What's your what, no, what is the what is your level of genuine understanding, your perspective, right? There's a lot more than going into just like how much information you've assimilated. And that usually comes through because the questions are worded in, in like, for instance, um, one of the questions is, what is elokus? Now, I wrote that in Hebrew, by the way, also, which is kind of a test because if you don't know what elokus is in Hebrew, that already is an indication of something. This is a very hard test. It is a very hard test. And it's, right, same. Do you want anyone in your class? 
<laughs> it's easier to go to my class if you're already in my note because eventually the rabbi before me just shoves people into my class and then you've got to deal with it, right? But, so, but now here's, here's the thing. One time we had a student who took the assessment and we had a very serious problem. He did phenomenally well. He, what he wrote, either he is an ideal candidate for this kind of class or he found an article on the internet and copied. Like, is that, was that, like, we weren't sure, like, did you copy this out of something? Did you find someone else's, like, well-written essay? Can you not do that? It's distracting me. In other words, is this a reflection of you, how you understand things, your processing of Hasidus? In which case, it's extremely impressive. Or is this, you found what someone else did and you're repeating it? This good she now, the thing is, I mean, if he did it like a word-for-word -word copy, that would be cheating. If he did it in a word-for-word -word copy, but he was, was reworking someone else's work, that's still pretty good. I mean, it shows a level of appreciation of understanding the question as he doesn't have the answer, going and finding the answer. Right? In other words, it's not... I, I would only say cheating if the person like, literally copied and pasted someone else's words. Right? But if he had put it in his own words, but it was basically redoing what someone else had done... Um, like one, of, like, like one of the questions on the test is like, who are you really, your godly soul, your animal soul? And he, like, he wrote like very eloquently about that. And I was, what? What did he write? It, it's not just what he wrote, it's how he wrote it, how he addressed it. And I, I don't have the, I would, it, it was a, a few paragraphs, very well written. Anyway, so, so I had to sit and speak with him and figure that out, right? And I didn't just ask him outright. I started talking to him and got offense. And then I, and it turned out that it was his own, that, um, and so the point is that, because what I'm really looking for is not the fact that the person has the answers, right? Like, even though it's true, if, if, if you, even though it's true, if, 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 if you were to close, if, if, you were to, if you were to not write the answers yourself, you go do research, you find the answers, right? And you rework them presentably, you did learn something. But it's not a reflection of your sense of Hasidus. It's a reflection of your research skills, right? and that you found the right information. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Right, because I actually, this is like, in my chassidish I come in assuming that people know nothing. Not, seriously, they assume that they know nothing, then why, 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 why am I so selective about who should be going to class? Because there's a certain way a person approaches things, a way a certain sense of things, a certain perspective, a certain paradigm, a certain attitude towards things. And, in other words, there's the underlying place that they're coming from and how they approach something. That's what I'm interested in. If you have that, then the fact that you are, that I'm gonna teach it to you as if from the basics up, but learning the basics up with the right perspective is very different than learning the basics when you're coming at it from the wrong perspective. Okay. So this is the idea. When we talk about potential, we're talking about something that actually reflects who you are inside. When you say that this is your potential, it doesn't mean you could do more. I mean, it may also mean that, but the key thing is, this is a reflection of something that is true about you. When we say something is an actuality, it means that it happens to be that way. So if you read something, you understood it, you could reproduce it in your own words. Yes, you've learned something, that's true. You've actually learned something. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean you it doesn't mean you have the, that perspective and that attitude and that approach. Um, so when you when you say that someone is bottle, yeah, actually, what does it mean they're bottle? Actually, it means something has happened to make them become bottle, right? In the case of the angels, what's happened? The angels are aware of God, and what does it do when you're aware of God? What does that do to you? It makes you bottle. Well, that's not true. It depends who you are. If you're an angel. If you're an angel, right? If, now, there are other forces, there are other things like the klipas, which are spiritual beings as well. They're aware of God and it doesn't make them bottle at all. Now, how, how could that be? So, very, very simple, yeah? Um, if you're reasonably intelligent, reasonably wise, and you encounter someone who is phenomenally intelligent, 
very deep, very wise. How do you feel relative to them being in their presence? Not so wise, right? What if you're a crass, self-absorbed person and you're in the presence of someone deep and wise? Do you all of a sudden feel smaller? No. Because you don't realize how wise they are. Now, you can intellectually understand they're wise. You have this, yes, I understand they're wise. But wisdom is not something that resonates with you. Right? It, I have this with like people that are good with sports. Like you could be really good at sports and I'm not, I don't feel in any way small in relationship to you. Why? Because it doesn't mean anything to me. So, so, so you can throw a ball very fast. Like so what? Like, why does that matter to me? Right? So if you take some, somebody who has an appreciation of holiness and the significance of holiness and they encounter something truly holy, how do they feel? Small. If you take somebody who doesn't care about holiness, he thinks holiness is a bunch of hot air and meaningless, and they encounter something really holy, it doesn't move them. <laughs> Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the angels, even before they encounter God, they have a natural appreciation for holiness. They have a natural respect for holiness. But that doesn't make them feel small. What happens is they have to encounter the holiness of God, and as a result of that, they feel small. When they... They do. Oh. Why? Because they have a natural appreciation for it. Oh, they do. Right? As opposed to the spiritual, there's other spiritual beings, we'll call them demons for right now. They don't, yeah. so they, they might, by the way, if we're going to contrast this, yeah? God is holy and God is powerful, yeah? Yeah. Okay. What are the angels impressed by? The holiness. What are the demons impressed by? The power. Now, Holiness is enchanting and enticing. When someone else is powerful, you feel small and you also resent it. <laughs> right? So it's not the same thing. Right? The, this bitzel that the angel has is because as a starting point, there is an appreciation of the value of holiness. Then they encounter the holiness of God. It's revealed to them and they become nullified to that. They, they surrender to that. They, 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 they feel small in relationship to that. Like somebody who's, like, again, somebody who values wisdom encountering someone who's truly wise. That makes sense? So, yeah, so people that don't appreciate holiness will never feel small by it? No. No. Okay. And the reverse is also true. If holiness makes you feel small, that means on some level you must appreciate it. Right. Or if you would be there to experience even if you experience it, you only feel humbled and small to by something because it resonates to you as something of value. Meaning if we don't feel small, then we don't really understand what holiness is. Right, no, you, might, you have this kind of academic understanding of holiness, but it doesn't mean anything, right? Right, and you see this, by the way, there are people just like, forget angels for a second, there's people in everyday life um, that you speak about the transcendence of God and you can see that it means something to them. Like you're, you're speaking their language. It, that God is transcendent, connecting to something beyond. That, that, that's, that, that's real to them. That means something to them. And maybe something they don't experience. They want to experience, but it means something to them, right? And then there are people who start talking about God's transcendence. Their eyes glaze over like, what? fine, God is unknowable and infinite and blah, 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 blah. Like, so what? Just, you might as well be speaking Chinese to me. It doesn't matter. And it's not because they're, they're intellectually challenged. I remember sitting and teaching a Tanya class a few years ago. There was a woman here, um, and but no knowledge of Hasidus. But what I like brought up this idea of like how loving Hashem has this kind of built-in tragedy because you're in love with something transcendent, right? And it kind of has like a built-in problem, right? It's like the dolphin falling in love with a chimpanzee, right? Where are they going to live? It's not going to work, right? God is transcendent. God is big definition beyond. How do you? Do it? And this was, you know, and like. You could see that that struck a chord with her, like that meant something. Like yes, that that spoke to her as a real thing. Does that mean she was experiencing the transcendence of God? No, but she was predisposed to appreciate it, right? right. So now, if she would experience the transcendence of God, right, right, that would affect her in a way. But if someone else doesn't have that, it's like okay, somebody is somebody is superior in some respect that I don't value. What is that? That doesn't do anything to me. So the angels, the angels are able to become bottled, become nullified, become um, in this state of abnegation to Hashem because they're exposed to the holiness of Hashem. 
But it also is true that it's because they do have some value for that holiness. Now, this means though, what happens if you take the angel away from the holiness? But I thought they are. What? They are bottle, I thought. They are bottle because... Because they appreciate it? They, two things. Those are the two things. They, they naturally appreciate it and they're being shown it. And give you like... like it's in their face. I feel like it's forced. It is in their face. Right. Now, what happens though if that revelation of Hashem's holiness goes away? Then they're no longer bottle. So, for, even if they've already experienced it. Even if they've already experienced it. Even if they've already experienced it. Now, revelation can, doesn't. It's not like a, it's not like an on-off switch, right? There are degrees of it, right? So, if they've, if if, if they they're still experiencing the after effects of revelation, so there's a certain degree of bittel, right? But to whatever degree that revelation is gone, correspondingly the bittel decreases. So, what happens if an angel were to walk on earth? Would they be bittel to Hashem? No, they would not be bottled to a show. Because they this would still have the part of them that should Hashem reveal Himself. No, yeah, and that they know they really want it. No, because even desire—this is another thing. Even even the desire for something can be very can the value, fact you appreciate something can be very latent, and you can that itself requires a taste of it. I'll give you an example. Um, Every human being has a desire to be acknowledged. Yeah? This is really annoying. Can you put something that keeps it from closing? Every human being has a desire to be acknowledged. To be seen as a person, yes? Now, what happens if a person grows up and they're deprived of any sort of human acknowledgement? What happens by the time that they're a teenager or an adult? One of the things that could happen they're deprived of any acknowledgement. Their parents, their other adults, nobody. That one thing could be is that, that there's just this rebound effect, right? But the other thing that happened is the opposite. They, they genuinely believe and feel about themselves that they have no need for human validation from anybody. No, it's a very bad thing. In other words, it gets so suppressed that... That right. In other words, they 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 they've learned this. They've learned to since I've never had this 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 validated experientially. They stop they stop having any sense of it in themselves. Now it it it, it, it could I mean, you could work with the person. Okay, you have something else in the sense of, of of capability. Every human being is born feeling with a natural tendency to feel capable. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a little child like one year old or two year old? Do they ever like not try to do something? Mm -hmm. No. But adults will often not try to do something, right? Mm -hmm. Even though objectively they might be perfectly capable, right? They, they, somehow the notion of self-efficacy, of self that I can do it, is something that can get suppressed. You don't even feel you have it. So you feel helpless even when you're not. Right? Anyone who's tutored, tutored people who are bad at a subject has probably encountered this. The student is usually better at the subject than they believe themselves to be. And so they really feel like they can't when they can. Okay, right? So, yes, if you deprive an angel of a, of a revelation of God enough, it eventually gets to a point that they would even deny that they're interested in, in God at all, that God is in any way relevant or speaks to them. And the angel could become totally evil. Right? But that's because all of this nullifying self to God is nullifying self to the experience of God's holiness being presented to them. It's not a reflection of who they are intrinsically. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what about a godly soul? So, he says, a godly soul has the capacity to abnegate themselves completely to the Holy One, blessed be He through martyrdom for the sanctification of God, right? Which basically means you have a classic thing, the non-Jew comes and says, become a Christian or I'll kill you, and the Jew dies in order not to become a Christian. So, how does, what's happening there? What's happening there? Well, first off, is the, is the, is the, is the, is the person experiencing a revelation of God? Is that what happens? So, so what's causing them to willingly lay down their life so as not to become a Christian, not to renounce God? It's actually part of Right. Intrinsic revelation, like something that, the potential. Okay, so what we have to understand is like this, is that. I don't actually see 
Okay, so I'm going to want you to. This is what I want to explain. There's a part of them that is bottle to Hashem. There's a part of them that is is already given over to Hashem. And that part that's given over to Hashem is not because Hashem is revealed to them. It's reverse. There's a part of them that is intrinsically and absolutely totally given over to Hashem. As a result of that, there's a dwelling of holiness within the Jew. And that dwellingness, right, can come out under the right circumstances. And so even if it's not coming out, it's still there. So what do you call something that's there but not in a state that you can really... Potential. Right? So when Hasidus speaks about something as potential, don't think it as of an ability to, and we've spoken about this before, we spoke about knowledge, if you remember those classes on knowledge, but potential is a state of being. It's in a state that's real, just not brought out yet. but it doesn't affect anything yet. What is the... What is again the settle? What is it? What did you say? I said a lot of things. You have to be no, a little more so, specific. Um, the like, if it's potential, and that's already coming out, shouldn't it already affect? No. Something. No. So, so, so the 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 idea, the idea here is. Potential means it already is there, but it's there in such a state that it hasn't had an effect. In order for it to have an effect, something has to change. Do we have examples of what we're changing? The the classic example is when is when it's self-evident to the to the person that if I do this action or I don't do this action, I am I am absolutely rejecting God. When that's clear to a Jew, then the the, the, the bittel which exists in them in a state of potential becomes actualized and affects their behavior. And that's like what happens when somebody um, undergoes martyrdom or is willing to undergo martyrdom. So it doesn't happen that often, so hopefully. Say, so when you say somebody has potential, it hasn't come out yet. Right, right. So if I say, for instance, so here's the thing, right? When you're educating somebody, right? When you're educating somebody, and I've spoken this before about educating, educating is about working with the other person's potential. I don't mean working with their abilities. I mean something deeper than that. I mean, if you're trying to educate a person, what you mean to say is, well, I want to educate you to be good. That means I think you're already good. But your goodness is in such a state that it doesn't affect your behavior. If I want to educate you to be knowledgeable, I think on some level you already know. It's just the knowledge is not on the level that it will actually impact your life. I'm bringing something out that already exists within. That's, that's, how we, that's how this word, in Hebrew, the word kayach is understood. It's something that exists, but it exists in a more aloof, ethereal state. If you want a physical analogy, um, Hasidus uses the example of a coal. When the coal, the coal is burning, you can't tell that it's burning. If you blow on it, right, then a flame shows up, and, you, and now, that, now, you can, now it has an effect visually. <clears throat> Okay, but it, it, it was still burning even before. Everyone who's barbecued knows this. So the idea here is that when you say an angel is actually bottle, what you mean to say is something is occurring to them that is causing them to be different. When you're saying a Jew is, even if nothing is happening, there's something inside them, right, that is already bottle. And that thing could come out in a very tangible way in martyrdom. It usually doesn't, okay? But it already is there. Okay? Does that relate to people who are like Balshuva and they're returning to their religion because there's something? Yep, that's why people become religious, especially people who, who are, grew up completely secular, right? And therefore, someone who teaches people to become religious has to have that attitude. Is that I'm not, it's not like I have Judaism and I'm going to give you Judaism. It's like you already have Judaism. It's just the Judaism that you have is not very practicable because it's so deep inside your soul. It doesn't, doesn't have form. It doesn't have texture. It doesn't have, right? What's the Hebrew for martyrdom? Kiddush Hashem. Okay. Mesir Sinefesh al Kiddush Hashem. What? What? What do you think margin was? Okay. One second. So where is this between our rest? So it. So right now, in every single one of us. Is that like a freedom? 
Right, so in, in, in Tanya, it's called, it's called the inner part of Chachma. Other places, it'll be called Yechida. Some places, it's called the essence of the soul. I don't want, you know, there are other expressions, the Jewish spark. But there's this idea that there is a certain part of our soul which is bottled, not because it's exposed to God, but because, like, fire is intrinsically hot, it's intrinsically bottled. And therefore, Hashem always resides there. It's constantly being. And it's constantly there. Right, it's, it, it constantly exists. Now, how come I don't feel it? Because it's in a state of potential. How come it doesn't prevent me from sinning? Because it's in a state of potential. Yeah, but if something outside is what's bringing out the potential, then now it's actual. That's right. And then that's the malach. Meaning what I'm doing, when someone's telling a Jew, do you want to convert? And the Jew says no, and now he's giving up his life. Actually, that's not the level of potential. Right, but now we have to appreciate that there's two kinds of actual. This, this gets into something that's not explicitly addressed yeah. here, but there's a difference between kinds of actualization. There's actualization where you're actualizing your potential, right. and there's actualization where you are the object upon someone else's potential is being actualized. Right. If I throw a baseball, yes, its movement is an actualization. It's an actualization of my power, right. not of it. Right? Going back to education, education, you're actualizing whose potential? Students. The students. In brainwashing, you're actualizing whose potential? Your own. Your own. The gurus, right? Right. Uh, yes, if I'm persuasive and charismatic and blah, 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 I can use all of that to impose my values on you. Right. But there's something else. I can genuinely ha- believe that there's these underlying truths inside of you, and now the question is how to bring them out of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are two, two different, in fact, opposite things. Right? So before someone converts, if they're going to convert to Judaism, would you say they are... Technically, then a Jew because they've got this inside of them. So, so it, it depends. The, the word "technical" would take up. Are they a Jew? In some sense, yes. But they're technically not a Jew because this potential is so deeply buried. There's nothing they can do to actualize it. Notice what conversion does. Um, I'll give you an example of this idea. Um, every person has the potential to speak. To what? To speak. To use language. Now, there's a tiny problem with language. If you are, if you don't encounter another human being, which rarely happens, right? There's like a story of that happening in France, where a baby was just somehow left in the woods and somehow survived. But it happens, right? If a person grows up entirely feral, with no contact with another human being, will they ever develop language? No. No. Why not? Isn't it their potential? No, it is their potential. Every human being has the potential. Right, but it's a kind of potential you cannot actualize yourself, which is different, by the way, than, say, reason. If a little child who grows up in the world right, will develop reason, maybe the reason can be enhanced if they were educated by a person, but they don't, you don't, another person doesn't need to bring reason out of you. Right. Language, if you never, if, if no one ever relates to you linguistically, you never develop language yourself. Right. And it's not that they're imposing language, they're bringing out your own potential for language, right? Um, this, this, um, you know, you can say this physiologically in the, in the sense of, say, procreation, right? Women can produce children, right? But, like, you know, unless you get weird things happening in laboratories, right? But the normal way things work is that you can't, that can't be brought out on her own, right? Something else needs to be involved. So you can really start dividing these things, right? A convert before they convert, yes, they, they have this potential, this, 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 this intrinsic bittle to Hashem in the essence of the soul, blah, blah, blah. But there's nothing they can do to tap into that. There's nothing they can do to actualize that. And the conversion process is other people bring that out for them. And then once it's out for them, then they can develop it further. And so then the conversion process could start before they even talk to a rabbi, technically, because they start to bring it out like, through things they read or... It depends. If you're talking about the, we're talking about the holiness part. Okay. Awareness and holiness are not the same. They can become aware of it, but that doesn't mean the holiness. And the, the practical difference is that the practical difference is like such a person like would not be able to infuse holiness into things in, in life, the way a Jew could, yet. Um, but setting all of that aside, so so if we go back to the main point here, right? Something can be bottled because of the circumstance in which it finds itself like an angel, or something can be bittel because the bittel is intrinsic. But the problem with bittel being intrinsic is that it doesn't necessarily lead to anything. It doesn't necessarily affect anything, right? But the upshot is that it's intrinsic and it's ongoing. Okay? 
An angel who is bottle cannot go against Hashem. A Jew who is bottle can go against Hashem because the part of me which has this bittel is in a state that doesn't necessarily affect anything. Right, which is why I, I feel might. Like it's not its choice. What? But I feel like it's not a choice by Allah. That's kind of right. Which is why angels are compared to animals. They're creatures of environment and nature rather than creatures of choice and personal development. That's true. Okay? So if you're thinking, where is the like, bittle. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but like, when by Harsinai, they were. Hashem was revealed. Did they have a choice to be bottle? No, no. If Hashem reveals you, if Hashem reveals Himself to a being that is in any way predisposed to value holiness, then then the bittel is going to be imposed on you. And when Mashiach comes? Well, that's the whole reason why Mashiach's coming doesn't work like that. Mashiach's coming has to be come through us, can't be imposed. So it happened through actualizing our potential. That's right. That's right. That's chapter thirty-seven of Tanya. Now it's, we're in exile until we get ourselves out. I don't mean that in some sort of nationalistic sense. I mean that in a in a in a you know existential sense. Hence, the Rebbe said that the one thing keeping us in exile is the fact that we're not so keen on getting out of exile. We're kind of we're kind of happy with exile, minus the few inconveniences here and there. But okay. Once we take it, we're gonna be no, not through force, not at all. Not force, but automatic. I don't want to go into this because I think it gets too sidetracked, but I think the flavor of the way you're imagining it is incorrect. And we'll just have to leave it at that. Okay. Now, next paragraph. That is why our sages have said that even when a single person sits and engages in Torah, the Shekhinah rests on him. And on every gathering of ten Jews, the Shekhinah rests always. So the idea is that the, the divine presence, holiness, is always there. Why? Because there is this innate intrinsic bitzel. Now, there is a technical complication which I'm really not going to get in, into. I'm just going to present the problem, tell you it's addressed, and move on. There are different levels of holiness if you go and get an anxiety of heat, right? Like how something can be hotter and colder, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be not, even the source is all the same, right? The same fire, but certain things can be hotter and colder based on how receptive they are to heat, how distant they are from the fire, right? So similarly speaking, there, we have different expressions. There's an expression in the Zohar that the Shekhinah always rests on the Jew's head. There's an expression that when, it, when a person is sitting and studying Torah, the Shekhinah rests on them. There's an idea when you have 10 Jews together, the Shekhinah rests on them. There's the idea that when you're doing a mitzvah, the Shekhinah rests on you. These are different levels of this indwelling of the holiness. Okay? So it's not that these are contradictory statements. They're describing different qualities and degrees. What do they all have in common, though? The Shekhinah is resting because there is some kind of a bittel. There's a bittel that's intrinsic to every Jew. There's a bittel that comes out in Torah study. There's a bittel that comes out just by Jews being together, even if they're not doing any Torah and mitzvahs. Which is why if you're going to sin, you're better off not doing it in a group because there's more divine presence in a group. Okay? You get the idea? Um, is Alexis revealed if we, if singing in again? I have to answer yes or no? No. Okay. Sort of. <laughs> um, it depends. So, every Jew has a resting on him on some level? Yes, which is why men... The Zohar says have to wear these. He's on and why is he resting on me? Because I have intrinsic bittel. Right. Now, there's, there's a. There's, why, why is wearing that help? It doesn't help. It's supposed to. It's 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 a, it's a way of it's this way of like acknowledging it and showing um, respect for it. No, in other words, there's 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 the there's the. Remember, see? So why don't women like was there? I remember. Or? Why don't women? Um. I can tell you many different reasons, okay? But if you're asking me honestly, I'm gonna tell you what I personally think, which I cannot guarantee is correct, but it's the thing I'm most convinced by, okay? And oh, because I'm, this is really what I call my own, my own idea, most of what I teach is not my own idea, so I want the recording turned off so that 
nobody can know what I actually think on the matter. Okay. Um, fine. All right. That was a detour. Well, you know, I'm sorry, internet people. Okay. Um, okay. So that's that's all describing this, the side of holiness, and, right? So we always have like a little base level of holiness in a Jew, no matter what's going on. Right? By the way, this means that when you encounter another Jew, even if they're the most horrible sinner in the universe, you should have a little bit of respect because what is resting upon them? The Shechina, by mere virtue of the fact that they're a Jew. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's why when tons of Jews gather to read Holy Face. That's right. So that's why we go on Holy Face. That's why, yeah. Right. You could also think the reverse, the fact that it's so holy draws all the Jews there. It's like, you know, holiness attracts holiness kind of thing. Which then makes it all the more holier. Okay. <laughs> However, all right, so much for the uplifting stuff. <laughs> that which does not surrender itself to God, but it is a separate thing by itself, does not receive its vitality from the holiness of the Holy One, blessed be He. That is the very inner essence and substance of holiness itself, but from behind its back, as it were. So, what if you are not nullified to Hashem? Well, then. Is that possible? Well, in this world, the only thing that's nullified to Hashem is the Jewish soul. Then they have to. Other people have to receive their that, like substance and vitality or whatever from Jews. Or? No, so, I mean yes, but not. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is something else. Okay, so we have we have we have a we have a, a there's an idea missing in the time. I don't mean that Dalton forgot to bring it in. It's just he didn't say it because he thinks it's obvious. But it's not obvious, and so I want to spell it out. I mean it, it's obvious if you know it already. Um, in the examples that we gave, like about like heat or life or things like that, right? The recipient has existence independent of the other things. So right, the water exists whether or not it's being heated by the fire, right? The dirt that makes up your body exists whether or not your soul is enlivening it, right? Okay. Does anything exist independently of Hashem and then receives things from Hashem? as a secondary level, as, as something that is... As some, is there like a basic fundamental level of being and then Hashem comes and influences things? No. Or things exist only because they're receiving from Hashem? Right, so we have a problem here, right? It can't ha there's, there's, like, there's a question here. It, is that if to be on the side of holiness means to receive from the holiness of Hashem, in order to receive from the holiness of Hashem, you need to be bottle, then the only kinds of things that should be able to really exist are things that are... Bato, because if you're not bato, you don't receive from the holiness of Hashem. You don't receive from the holiness of Hashem. There's no existence. Well, you could get from the, from the backhanded. Well, that's the answer. But that, that's answering a question. There is no separate channel. It's like, if, if I don't give you a job, it's not the end of the world. You go get a job from someone else, right? If Hashem isn't going to give you of his own being, then are you going to get existence somewhere else? There's like some other secondary God you can go to? What do you think the back? What do you think? What do you think the backhanded is? What does that mean? You keep saying this. What does that mean? Still from Hashem, just not in a, a way that we think it is, and mm. not in a way that's direct, and not in a way that you're getting the bittle part. Right, but that's a, that's answering an important question, which is, in order for something to exist, it needs to receive from Hashem, right? right. Do you need to be bottled to receive from Hashem? Yeah. No. Oh, no. No. You just have to be like you have appreciation to, of. No, you don't have to have any. In order to receive from Hashem, you don't need to be bottle. But if you're not bottle, what are you going to receive from Hashem? Yes. Not direct. It's going to be from behind his back. And what happens if you're going to receive if you're going to be bottle, you're going to receive from the inner essence of holiness itself. There is such a thing, but we're not going to worry about that right now. But I want to do it. The point of this chapter is to understand the difference between being bottle and not. Until the, the end of the chapter, we're going to start getting to different kinds of things. So you don't have to be bottle to receive from Hashem? No. 
Proof being is... Like the same as like no, because the angels are also bottle. Oh, they already are. Yeah, they're bottle, right? Okay, so let me give you an example. He's always used a word of examples, right? Do you need to be paying attention in order for me to teach you? No. No, That's, that should be obvious, right? So then why bother paying attention? That's right. Okay. In other words, if someone's trying to teach you something, it's not just information. Not just there's 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 a, a a whole approach, a whole perspective being conveyed. If you're half paying attention, do you get that? No. No. You could like hear the information, hear the words. Maybe you have a good memory, so you can regurgitate them later. Right? But you get the superficial parts, you don't get the main point. So now here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff about God. God exists. God is powerful. Yeah? God is capable. So if you exist, you got your existence from God's existence. If you're powerful, you got your power from God's power. If you're capable, you got your capacity your capabilities from God's capabilities. Does that make sense? Because yeah. I mean, there's no independent source of anything else, right? Okay, fine. So you can get all sorts of stuff from God. What can't, but, and do any of those things really require you to be bottle? No. What's the one thing that you can't get from Hashem without bittle? His holiness. His holiness. So is that the vitality? We'll get to that soon. We'll get to that later. I get that, but then I have to, because that means you could get something from Hashem that's not holy. Mm-hmm. Should I explain? I know that, but like now I'm confused. But it's So, what we're going to do is we're going to play a little chart game. I they like making chart games. Okay. What we're going to do... Even like bad in this world is not showing, just not holy. Right? Which is... What's the word? Okay. Counter. Like it, um, no, it's... Okay, yeah, what we're going to do is like this. I want you, first off, we need to have, there's something called a, there's something called a virtue. What's a virtue? A virtue is something that's good to have. Okay, substantive, right? And there's something that's called a privation. Right? And the lacking. Okay, so wealth is a virtue. Poverty, privation. Good? Okay. Privation? What? Privation. Privation. Yeah. Hebrew, that's called a chasar. He was Mylan Chasar, right? So, smart. The virgin. Stupid. Good? Okay. So now, what we're going to do is like this. We have Hashem over here. He's on top because he's Hashem. And then we have not Hashem, which is not as great as Hashem, obviously, right? Uh -huh. We're better Okay, good. And now what we're going to do is like this. You're going to try and come up with a virtue, a myla, that Hashem has and we don't. Or that's unique to Hashem. Okay? Okay. And then oneness. Hashem is one? What do you mean by one? Like there's only one of him? No, there's only one of me too. <laughs> Like, he encompasses everything, which we can only encompass, like, specific virtues. Okay, but I'm going to make a rule about this game. The rule about this game is that I want things that are substantively different, not things that are just a matter of degree. So if you stack words like all or every, that doesn't count. Limitless? Same issue. So, like, reality? Hashem could do miracles. What's a miracle? What's a miracle? Something that's... Above nature. Okay. Okay. Can go beyond nature. Okay. I want you to make evidence. Evidence that it shouldn't go beyond nature, please. Don't just say it as a matter of dogma. Burn a bush. Burning bush. Good. Chat. You can do it. Okay. Creating nature. Wait, wait. We have one example. That's all I need. I just need one example to verify that he can, in some sense, go beyond nature. Now. Um, are, are there some people that are naturally introverted? Yes. Are they able to go beyond that? Yes. 
So can things that are not Hashem go beyond nature in some way, shape, or form? I want, <laughs> but this is the thing. I want you to see that I want us to get at things that are not matters of degree. I'm not saying that you can split this in, but there is some notion of nature that you can also go beyond. And so he can do it better, he can do it more, but it's fundamentally the same kind of thing place. He's just really good at it. What? So creating the world means making something new? Describe that to me, explain. I can describe it in one way, which is very useful, which is like this. When I make stuff, I have a problem. Right? So let's say I want to make, um, let's see, last night I made meatloaf. Yeah, it was very fortunate, or unfortunate, if anything, you think about it, that there was meat in the freezer. You could think of it, it was unfortunate, because there was, since there was only meat in the freezer, that's what I had to do was make the meatloaf, or it was fortunate that there was meat to make in the meatloaf, right? But let's say I decided I wanted to make meatloaf, and there was no meat in the freezer, I couldn't do it, right? Because I'm really bad at making stuff unless I have some basic ingredients, where Hashem is pretty decent at making stuff, right? But, and in that sense, what Hashem does, what I do is basically the same thing. I want some meatloaf. He wants some meatloaf. I can make the meatloaf isn't here. I can make the meatloaf. Meatloaf's not there. He can make the meatloaf. He's better at it. Than he doesn't need to go to the store and buy meat, and I do need to go to the store and buy meat. But in that sense of making something new, we're both doing the same thing. One second. We're both doing the same thing, right? So... It has to be something physical, because we can make things. I can make things that are not physical. Like what? My children. Yeah. They're pretty not cool. Physical? Not entirely, not the interesting part. I don't get it. They're Yeah. But, like, they're like but that's not the interesting their part about them. Their soul, their personality, their sense of humor, their aspirations, right? Also, the annoying parts about them, like the nightmares in the middle of the night make them wake up and they want you to, be, to like, sit with them and they want them to sleep. Like, all the interesting stuff about them is not really so physical. Right. Okay. Um, so, now, if you make something from nothing, which some of you mentioned, I'm going to say that doesn't go on the list. And the reason it doesn't go on the list, can you describe what it means to make something from nothing? Like, what does that mean? Well, no, because you can't describe nothing. Okay, so you can't, okay. So, so I would like you to, like, and that's the thing that I want you to talk about. Tell me something. Well, if it's something I can explain, then I can do it also. Okay, so I'm going to make a category over here. Stuff that is unique to a show. He has no concept. One second. There's stuff that's unique to a show. I can't describe. So when you say Hashem can make something from nothing, and you can't really describe what that means, right? It's just, it's just a bunch of fancy wordplay. So yes, that's something that's true about Hashem and not true about us. Okay, but I want stuff that you can actually describe. Yeah, but I'm saying then, then just by definition, you're going to have it automatically. Mm, this is what I want to point out to you. Are there things that you can describe about me? Virtues that I have that you don't have, or yeah. virtues that you have that I don't have? For instance... You can bear children. I can't, right? Right. Okay. I can. We're gonna go. We're gonna go with this as a virtue in the source to think it is. I can grow a beard. Yeah. You can't, right? So there are things that differentiate us. Yeah. And yet they don't go into this something that's unique about the other person that I can't describe kind of category. Mm -hmm. Like we know what it is, and some have it, and some don't, right? But the thing is, like this with Hashem, everything you could describe, we have in some sense. Mm -hmm. And the things that are really unique to Hashem. We don't, we don't, we don't, we really can't describe them. Which, which means, which means, here's the thing. This is the thing I want you to see from this, this exercise. And, and think about it. Think a few more examples. The things that are really, really unique to Hashem, try to actually describe what you mean by that, and you realize that you end up with a blank. And if you can describe what you mean by it, you realize that you like also holiness. have that. What? Like In other words, holiness. In other words, whatever you receive from Hashem that makes you the kind of thing you are, your existence, your capacities, your abilities, your powers, your whatever, is basically saying, well, Hashem is just a supersized version of you. It's seeing Hashem in a very superficial way. It's, you know, like, there are people that think that God is an old man in the sky. But if you think is that what makes God God is that he can go beyond nature, make something new, he exists, um, he's alive, right? All these wonderful things. 
Well, those are all true of him. They're true of us. He's just, he just feels alive in a better way. He exists in a better way. He can make something new and better. Like, he's, just better at, he's just better at all the things that we value about ourselves than we are. So that's the giant man in the sky version of God. But so not Hashem. Right, but what makes Hashem Hashem is... All things against So now, if you're not bottled to Hashem, what do you get of Hashem? You can get an ability to go beyond nature, maybe. You can get the ability to make something new. You can get some existence. You can get life. But you're missing something. You're missing him. You got everything about him other than him. But getting all these things isn't that... Isn't that part of him? No. It's true about him, but it's not part of him. You know the difference between something that's part of you versus something that's just true about you? No. Okay. I have astigmatism. You know what astigmatism is? It means that my eyes are really not so great, hence my glasses have a high prescription. Is that part of me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not really part of me. Well, it's not part of any of it. It's, it's not part of me. But that, I, I would go over something. My body isn't part of me, but let's ignore that. It's just something very, very... Right? If one day I were to wake up, yeah, and my stigmatism would be gone, yeah, I didn't need these anymore. How would I feel about myself? Like, I mean, it would be kind of shocking, right, because I wasn't expecting that's kind of odd, right? But, like, would I feel like I had undergone some kind of change in who I was, some no. part? No, right? On the other hand, like, um, when I started teaching, that was different because there's a part of me that didn't really exist in any real tangible way, which is this, is this teaching part. And then I started teaching. I teach full time. Like, now that's a major part of me. And then if God would ever stop teaching, I'd probably have some kind of crisis about, like, who am I really? Because a whole part of myself is now empty. Right? There's things that are part of who you are, and the things that just happen to be true about you. Mm-hmm. So, what is, if you're not buckled to Hashem, what do you get about Hashem? Things that are true about him, but they're not really anything, not really part of him for who he really is. And the thing that makes who he really is, is unique to him. So this is kind of the weird thing. Like if, you go to the, if you go to the sit draft, or you go to the thing that's not bottled, you say, you know what? You're, you know what? You should be bottled. And you say, well, why? Because if you're not bottled, you're not going to get the holiness of Hashem. You're like, well, what does holiness get me? It's like, without the holiness, you don't have Hashem. It's like, okay, but I don't care. Like, am I going to lose existence, power? Talent, like what is the thing I'm not going to get from him if I'm not bottle? And the answer is no, you can get all that stuff without being bottle. The one thing you can't have without being bottle is Hashem. is Hashem, what makes him be who he is, his holiness, his uniqueness. And by the way, if you do get it, what does that now make about you? You kind of have transcended your own self. Right? So what I want you to see is it's not like, oh, you're getting more, you're getting less. It's just two totally different worldviews. If I'm going to be, what does it mean to be, it means, to be bottle means that the thing that I'm getting isn't something that Hashem and I have in common, it's something that's unique to Hashem. So now I stop really being a me, myself, and I start being in some sense a representative of, an extension of him. But if I'm not bottle, I can get stuff from him. He exists, he gives me existence. He's powerful, I can have some power. He has creativity, I can have some creativity. So, if you want to get things from Hashem, do you need to be bottle? No. No. If you want Hashem, then you need to be bottle. And what do you what do you get for getting what do you get for having Hashem? What does that give you? Well, Hashem is not a means to an end, so you get you get nothing. You get Him. Which is holiness. Which is holiness. But people like would say they can feel that, or do you think that's like they can't really feel? Generally speaking, they can't feel that. There's a thing that people can feel which is important, which is people have a sense of um, what I would like to call spirituality, which is a sense, which is a sense, it's some, it's some combination of connectiveness to nature, a sense of meaning, a sense of possibility, um, freedom, of, freedom of habit, routine, and, and, think, and, and, the, and the modernity of regular life. And it's very important that people have experiences like that, just as important people have companionship. And you can have very powerful experiences of that, especially if you take LSD or stuff like that. But that is not the same thing as the holiness of God. Um, you know, the holiness of God resides right here. And um, I, I don't know if you, I don't know, most of us don't experience much of anything. Experiencing holiness is, also, is, is basically borders on prophecy. Let's put it that way. So you feel like holiness is really spiritual. Do you have a holy moment? Sure. 
but that doesn't mean you're experiencing it. Every time I do mitzvah, every time I do mitzvah, in fact, you, the fact that you're a Jew in some sense is an ongoing holy moment in some sense. That means that you love God enough that you're not going to do things he doesn't like. Even so if you really you want to. Like that's a different. deep connection to Hashem, that's different. Right. That's some combination of emotion and reason and maybe faith. And, and maybe there's holiness underlying that stuff. But like, it's like driving it? Or? Yeah, that's dri- maybe driving it, but that's not what you're directly experiencing. Isn't a lot of it just you applying your knowledge? That could be. You yeah. know that. It's only because you feel... Right. Yeah, a lot of it's that. Okay. So... So, I just want to end with an example. Um, what is the most important thing spouses give each other? Companionship? Nope. They help you. Nope. Themselves. Give themselves. This is very, very tricky. I'll explain to you what I mean. Okay? If somebody... Right, People often complain that my spouse isn't doing an X. They, I don't know, let's be cliche. The wife complains that the husband doesn't give her, ever bring her flowers. And the husband complains that the wife never makes his favorite food for dinner. Stupid stuff, okay? Fill in the blanks, it doesn't matter, right? What's the real complaint? They don't care about me. They're not Right, there's a set, right? There's not, like, I'm getting stuff from them. And, maybe, right, it's like, and, then, and then the husband's like, okay, well, we'll get the flowers, right? Like, you didn't, like, it wasn't about the flowers, right? There's this sense of the, the uniqueness of your being is that somehow being shared with me. Now, this, this, this creates a bit of a problem, right? Because the same dynamic we have with Hashem exists in a similar sense with people, which is that um, am, I going to, am I going to really reach out and share my, my, the uniqueness of myself with someone else who hasn't, doesn't relate to me as it's a, their relation to me isn't focused on me, but rather sees me as a means to an end to their own personal benefit, it's not going to work. And so what I want you to think of it is that there's kind of like, you know, there's this notion of like a, a virtuous cycle and a vicious cycle. So in the virtuous cycle, it's like I really value someone else so they really share themselves with me, which of course, obviously, I then value the more they share something until, until we kind of like, there's a, almost a merging, and a, a togetherness that's achieved, right? But there's another thing, which is like, I'm interested in me, and this other thing can help me, give me the stuff that I want, and, and maybe they will give me the stuff that I want, but they're certainly not gonna share themselves, because that's un- making yourself unnecessarily exposed for no reason, right? And this plays out into all sorts of relationships, marriage, friendships, par- um, 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 parenting, siblings, all have these problems in different ways. Marriage, I would say, is the most acute. Okay? And so that's the thing. It's like, yeah, Hashem, Hashem has all these wonderful things, and he's better at them than we are. And so for obviously, if I want them, I'm going to have to get them from him, and I certainly shouldn't want to take him off. But there's no bittle in that. The bittle is that I'm making a space for him and what's uniquely him is uniquely him and beyond and transcendent and then that lives within me and so now my life is no longer me and my things. My life is somehow a representation or an embodiment of his transcendence. That's the side of holiness. That's what angels are trying to do and that's what a Jew on some level always is. Sometimes it's more manifest and less manifest. But the sitrach is not like that at all. And so whatever the sitrach gets from Hashem, power, ability, existence, it's not getting Hashem. And that's what we mean the backside. The backside is the superficial. Because you missed the point. Because you missed the point. But I thought it's useful sometimes for Hashem to... Oh, it's for useful. Hashem is using... Right? In other words, the, 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 the Hashem he is using... He uses for a reason, no? Hashem is, Hashem is creating the sitrach the, the for a reason. They're, in other words, they're using each other. It's like a business deal, right? Like, like, I have money, and you have business talent. So I'll give you my money, and you turn it into more money. And so I'm benefiting from you, and you're benefiting from We're both using each other, and none of us zero interest in each other whatsoever. Yeah? And the Klippa knows that it, Hashem will keep it existing as long as it's serving his purpose. Yeah? But Hashem has no interest in the Klippa and sharing the Klippa. The Klippa is not in any way, he's not expressing and bringing himself, his holiness into it. And the Klippa is no interest in Hashem's holiness. But as long as Hashem is used for Klippa, the Klippa, the Sitra Achra, you know, is going to make good on that and try and get the most out of that. Think of that. A lot of relationships are like this too, right? 
there's degrees of it. Sometimes it's outright manipulative, but sometimes it's by mutual agreement. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really care about you, and you don't really care about me. But I get something out of you, and you get something out of me. So as long as that's the case, we'll keep this going. The klipa doesn't like Hashem, and Hashem doesn't like the klipa. But the klipa needs Hashem in order to exist and have power and influence and whatever. And, and Hashem needs the klipa for whatever purposes klipa serves. And so as long as as long as that's true. Yeah. And it's okay to have that, like a spark. I'm not, I'm What's not, okay I, about that? I'm not, it's okay, I'm just, it's what it is. So there's these two parallel tracks of reality. There's a part of a reality where it's all about connecting to Hashem, and that's the holiness of society. So we're really the losers. It's Klippa Hashem having a great moment. When we do Klippa, we totally, we're just like nowhere. Well, yes and no. The, the answer to this is that Klippa is actually getting the short end of the stick. Because you know, like you know, you know, like the, you know, the difference between having a having a, a gig and having a career. What's the end of a career? A career. The end. Well, what what do you have? Well, a career. You, 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 what happens when you finish a career? You have retirement, right? That's retirement. Right? Everything goes properly. Career ends with retirement, right? How does a gig end? It's unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> right now, so right, the end result of the side of holiness is all the ups and downs and all of the whatever. At the end of the day is what is the end result? Redemption. What's the end result of klipa? <coughs> Annihilation. So <laughs> you might have a working understanding, but this is temporary, and, and it's not going to end well for the klipa in the end. Whereas with us, the road might be very bumpy, but we we ultimately have eternal redemption. So when it's done, it's like how? 